I'm still waiting on my friends to write in. Julian backed out, but my best friend Neil Schaefer and others are threatening to come on. But this episode features my sister and our close friend Anna. Anyway, I'm sure if you've been winter hiking, you'll know a little bit about today's episode. Post a link through late winter snow. When snow is a certain way, there's a delicate balance between walking above the snow or falling through and post-holing endlessly. But that is not the part of post-holing I'm going to talk about today. I'm here to talk about the tracks you leave in the snow. Yeah, that's right. The boot prints left in the soft spring snow. This story starts out with me waiting in the parking lot. My sister and her friend Anna missed the exit and were now several minutes behind. They're a dynamic duo, self-described as the heart and soul of Amps, the class of 2017. Haley's done all-day adventure races, gone weeks in Voyager canoes, and splashed down white water. She also listed that she was a varsity athlete because she was tall and has a unique ability to answer questions in English class. Anna is known around the Northeast for laying down, a, down on ant mounds and has a stellar personality. Together, they've hiked the 100-mile wilderness in Maine, been refused a place to stay by religious figures, hitchhiked, and road trip to the Bay of Fundy. Eventually, they pulled into the lot, and we started up Vermont Route 108, which is still covered in snow in late March. The snow flicked out under our shoes, and we made good time to the start of our trail, the Hellbrook Trail. We followed the boot tracks up the steep gully. It was a bluebird day, and we found our trail tracks intermixed with ski tracks. The backcountry skiers switched turns into the late winter snow. The corn slid out and the arcs their turns. We pushed past the openings, still in awe of the almost angelic movements of the skiers. I'm an average climber and mountain biker and a good endurance runner, cyclist, and hiker, but backcountry skiers will never fail to impress me. The lifts serve double black diamonds I ski, pale in comparison to the terrain that these skiers glide down with apparent ease. But we rejoined with our boot track. And as I matched my trail runners into the tracks laid out before me, I visualized the person who walked this route before we did. I was matching his gait and the angle that his feet landed. I was walking exactly as he did, to avoid post-holing. I was falling without regard to the blazes because most of them were under the snow. You could say I was falling in his footsteps. My mind snapped into clarity. I was literally falling in somebody's footsteps. Not only that, I was following somebody's footsteps up a semi-treacherous trail towards the summit. Falling while on this trail was not an option at some points. Steepness would have meant you'd fallen far down into the gully. So here I was, following these footsteps, and trusting them to lead me right, to keep me safe, and to lead me to success, to lead me to the summit. That is what it means to follow in someone's footsteps, and I've done that countless times in my life. Yes, I've veered into other tracks and followed those, but I think boot prints in the late winter snow is a powerful metaphor for the journey of life. Yet this metaphor is nearly cliché. You've heard it a million times. Kobe Bryant followed in Michael Jordan's footsteps. Maybe you followed in your own parents' footsteps. Here's Anna talking about just that idea. I mean, I, well, I think that's definitely about, like, when you, like, you saying that made me think, like, you know, like, especially, like, I think our parents' generation, too, they have, like, an expectation that, like, my parents, like, I feel like their lives, they did everything, like, the right way, like... They got married at 25, they bought a house, they moved in together, then they waited a couple of years once they were financially stable and had kids, you know? And I feel like I started going that path. I was tracing their path kind of, and now I'm kind of going my own direction, you know, because it's not the right thing for everyone, but I don't know. It's a deep question. 
But then I snapped out of my thoughts and back to the beautiful day in front of me. We made it to a cliff where the light spilled down underneath, and then we pushed up higher to where the hardwoods gave way to birches and spruce. We wound through the wind-blown trees and stopped near the babbling hell brook, which could be heard underneath the snow. Then we made our way high enough to be above the rock face that was on the other side of the road when we were starting. It looked insurmountably high while standing on VT-108. From this open field-like setting, the sun warmed our faces, and then we heard the swishing of skiers coming down. We watched them from the side of the trail and greeted them with warm hellos. We all secretly envied them, the coolness of their sport. They were skiing very tough terrain. Here is Haley talking about them. I'd say it was definitely inspiring because they were just like, like I was amazed by them and just their ability to be on the top of a mountain to get all the way up there and then to have enough skill to be able to weave through the trees and the rocks. And it was pretty mind blowing to me because I'd never really seen anyone backcountry ski. And that was a pretty intense mountain. And I would say it's like mm. even a pretty like challenging hike. Yeah. So to be on two skis or a snowboard and be flying by it was just pretty crazy. It was definitely, I would definitely say it was inspirational. Well, I think about, like, when we got to the summit and mm. we pulled off to the side, it was kind of the snow fields. And when those backcountry skiers and snowboarders were just whizzing by us and they just seemed really pumped. And I remember Anna said she heard one of the girls say that that was the most terrifying thing that she's done in like years. It was definitely pretty intense. And then when they, when we watched them ski down the gullies, that was just, yeah, that was crazy. And I can't imagine the amount of precision that it takes. After they went by, we continued on our upward journey and crested the ridge. Then we made our way to a grove of snow-covered Krumholt spruce that gave us a view of the chin. It was a dominant mountain. Its steepness was apparent, and bands of rocks poked out from the snow. It has the appearance of a mountain from a magazine. It looked dangerous and steep. And then we saw ski tracks going down it. The steepness was one where one would think of bringing an ice axe. But someone was skiing that. I started to think that I might want to fall on their tracks, and I think Anna and Haley, to some degree, were thinking the same. Here is Haley again. I thought it was amazing, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm naturally drawn to the snow, so I don't really see myself ever getting on that level of skiing. But I think in other aspects of my life or other activities, I kind of yeah, I would want to aspire to that level of fun and exploration, even if it was like scuba diving or white water. Yeah, the full sand attitude.
They pushed on, though, and crossed the low crumholtz to the slope. We kicked in steps into the snow and put our hands into the tracks that already existed. The slope was steep, and a fall would be unbroken for at least 100 feet. We made it to a beautiful 360 summit, laughed, joked, and ate snacks before descending in our tracks ladder style. It was getting into the late afternoon, and we needed to make decent time to not be caught in the dark. We followed in the tracks that led us up, but lost our tracks when the skiers had covered them, and then found them again on the other side. We made it down to a spot where two tracks emerged from the ski track, one to the right and one to the left. I started walking toward the right, but Haley and Anna thought we went left. So we'd followed down to the left for quite a ways, then the tracks ended abruptly as if they just stopped, and the person who made them was picked off the face of the earth. We were losing sunlight, and we couldn't blaze our way down. It was a cliff, and to our right was uncharted, and to our left was the very steep side of the gully, much too steep to hike down. Were the tracks that we followed all day about to lead us astray? What happens when the tracks you were following lead you astray? Anna had this to say. What is it that you would do if uh, the tracks you were following led you astray? I feel like they did. <laughs> At least one or one or a dozen times during that whole thing. So, I mean, I think... I mean... I think, I guess, what we did was basically we either backtracked to where we were or we just decided like as a group whether we should just keep going and you know like I don't think I feel like there was times where we got off track where we where we retraced our steps and went back to where we knew we went wrong and there was other times where we were just kept going with it and just followed the tracks for for the skiers instead because I, I don't know I trust I trusted the skiers tracks more than I trusted ours and trusted the skiers tracks more than I trusted the trail markers to be honest yeah, we didn't really follow the trail markers at all. You couldn't see them, they were under the snow. Yeah, so. And that is exactly what we did. We backtracked and followed the other trail down. But a deep question nagged at me. What happens when a person you looked up to leads you astray? You have two options, make your own trail or trust in them. And I had this to say about that. I feel like that also happens in many of my, at least me and Haley's adventures. <laughs> like the amount of times that, I mean, I did it on the way there, you know, like I definitely look up to Haley, like, like, like when I was climbing down the, the, the whatchamajig and I was like shaking because I was scared, you know, like Haley, like, and you and Haley were both like cheering me on and whatever, because I was not. I was nervous, obviously, but, um, I mean, I think even if they lead you astray, they do it with the right intentions, you know, like it's not something on purpose, like that's, they did with malice, you know, like me on the way there taking us 45 minutes, uh, out of, (laughs) out of the way because I missed an exit because that's what I do, (laughs) you know, like like that's not that's not it happens it does happen 
We made our way down in the fading light, and I began to think about the action of retracing your steps. It is often the way that we solve problems or find ourselves again. If you're lost in life or lost in the wilderness, you retrace your steps. You find solid ground. You locate the features that you know to be true, and then you set out making a new path, confident in what you know and not knowing exactly everything you will encounter. Here's what Anna had to say about retracing steps. I mean, seeing as I'm graduating this semester, I feel like I'm constantly doing that. Like, I feel like everything that I've done to get me here, I feel like I go back constantly and say, like, how was it that I ended up doing what I'm doing? Like, I... I don't know, like, I entered school, like, a freaking business major, like, you know, and then I'm still a business major, but I've added, like, a lot of other stuff to that because I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do, so I feel like, I feel like I'm constantly doing that, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, Colby, do you, do you have an answer to that? But soon enough, we found our way down to Route 108 and back to the lot. After a great day in the mountains, something still wasn't settled with me. These questions swirled in my head. Is it okay to mirror someone's steps? What happens when they lead you astray? Today, those questions resolve themselves, but other days they might not. I was left with one thing, though. I find that retracing your steps usually isn't a bad thing, especially if you can find solid ground. I don't think there's one right answer to these questions, but I do think they should be thought about and asked a lot. I'm very thankful for Haley and Anna for contributing their time to help me with this episode. And I'm even more thankful for time spent with them in the mountains. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The cover art is by my friend, Ali Shears, who is also a UVM student. The music was by Thomas Keegan. You can find his music on his Instagram page, Tommy Swamp. The link tree will lead you to his SoundCloud and Spotify. If you want to be on Wilderness and Wildness or just say hi, send me an email at colby.fong at hotmail.com. That's colby.fong at hotmail.com. Stay wild.